Say what's up, Snacks. What's up, boss? <laughs> You're talking. You beat all shy. Get out of here. I'm, try I'm trying to work. Right. I'm trying to work. Shut that door. You gotta go down with mama. Um, okay, cool. Welcome into the Green Light Pod. Come on, man. Get out of here. So this this works. This is podcasting from home, dude. This is Damon Snacks Harrison for everybody. My son messed up the intro. I was going to intro you as one of the best run stoppers of the decade, maybe that I've ever seen, uh, NFL lineman, eight, nine years in the league now, Damon? Uh, going on nine. Going on nine. Going on nine. So that does mean we're going to play next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's looking that way, man. It's looking that way. Because <laughs> I, I heard something where you had said, like, you were thinking about retiring. So I, I didn't know. I've had that feel. I had that feeling for like eight years in a row when I played in St. Louis. So I totally can identify. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's just a little. You know how a, a bad season can can wear on you mentally as well as physically. And I think um, the reporters asked me a question, and I I got caught, caught up in the emotions. It wasn't it was what I was feeling at the moment. It was very honest, but um, I've had some time to think about it, and I and I would like to continue playing. That's great, man. I think the game's better with you in it. Uh, not only that, but one of the best social media follows uh, <laughs> in all of sports here. He does not hold back, ladies and gentlemen. I like that about you, Snacks. Oh, no, man. That's, that's my platform, and, I, and I, um, I like to play with it. Well, that's great, man. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll just start with that. I, uh, the emotional press conference. I've been there. I mean, you know, I think – I've added this up a bunch. Over my eight years in St. Louis, we won four com four games a year. So, you know, you haven't been in New York, New York, and then Detroit. You've had some rough goes as well. I know. I know the feeling. I know at the end of the year, all the emotions. You Because you've got to keep them inside for 16 games because right. you can't be weak during those games. But then when, when it finishes, it's like a flood of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Right, yeah, exactly. What do, pe what do people miss about the dedication and where did that come from, that emotion? Um, I'm just a very emotional guy with everything I do in life, um, no matter what it is. Um, I speak from the heart, and that gets me in trouble. It's my gift and my curse. And, um, you know, I just try to be very honest in everything I do, especially being honest with myself. So um, it's another reason why I don't do a lot of interviews, because I, I just have a hard time lying. Dude, <laughs> we got a lot in common. <laughs> and the problem is that lately, being in the podcast game, I, I got to talk all the fucking time. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. I have a hard time holding back. But when I watched that interview, I said to myself, I'm glad you, you did that interview. And obviously, you didn't do that on purpose. That, those are real emotions. But yeah. I think that fans sometimes, they lose sight of the fact that, you know, fans live and die with it. We appreciate the fans. And you mm -hmm. played in front of three great fan bases, storied fan bases. The ones in Detroit, they've been through a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, but you're dedicating everything to it, and you haven't had that taste of really winning yet. Yeah, that's 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 the toughest part of it all. Um, you know, some of my best years have been on nine playoff uh, football teams, and um, now I don't I don't regret a thing. I wish we'd have won some more games, but um, like you said, it's been three really really great fan bases, so it was all worthwhile. 
Well, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to like get the accolades you want besides the winning. I mean, I think players know players know you respect you. I remember when you were young in the league, um, but now you are a a seasoned vet and one of the best run stoppers in the game, the solidified reputation. Um, You know, it's, it's hard to get the accolades though. I think one year you were all pro. Yeah. First team all pro. Yes, sir. And you're good. Then fuck it from here on out. You're good. You just go win some ball games. What about now? So like we're here in Dallas. That's what I've heard a lot about. And you live in Dallas. Yes, sir, I live in Dallas. So that that um, actually was my first choice. When I spoke with my agent, Drew, uh, we had a long conversation. And I kind of gave him a list of some teams that, uh, you know, I would like to to see if we could pursue. And uh, Dallas was one of them, but Dallas went in a different direction. There was some reports about uh, them internally speaking about it. But um, as far as I know, it wasn't true. What's the right scheme for you? What's the, what's the right fit for you uh, next year? Uh, the stubborn me would say three, four, you know, get back to my roots, the, the zero technique, the, the shade, um, something that I haven't done in, in a while, um, a lot, which I've had my best years in a, a three, four, being able to be the, the zero nose. Um, but I think more of a four, three, man, um, I'm playing this, uh, I'm still continually dropping weight. I'm going to play at about three thirty, three thirty-five next year, um, which would be about a 20 pound difference than I've done my whole career. And I know that'll make a, a, a big bit of difference. What do you, like quarantine, right? We haven't gone anywhere in like a month. I know I speak for us both. And we're both sitting in the house with our kids, our, our wives. And, you know, it's easy. I plug my computer and I can talk to anybody in the world. I can do my job just fine. But you have a job to do. And I know the feeling you know, for somebody who I know takes their craft seriously, that looms on you. Hey, the season may be coming. It may be not. It might be late. I'm a free agent. How do you deal with that? How do you work out and stay mentally strong through this time? Well, one, I didn't take uh, my wife's heat serious. She told me um, about two weeks before everything happened, you know, what's, what's going to happen. We won't be able to go anywhere or do anything. And I didn't take it serious. So um, I've been pretty much everything that I ordered has been on back order. Um, I've had to order some equipment here at home, um, turning garage into my personal gym. Uh, here in Texas, and um, I just really haven't been outside in about a month, man. Maybe, uh, yeah. Look at me, dude. Hey, look at me. <laughs> All right, it's fucking sunny outside. I'm looking at myself in this thing. I'm like, I don't look in the mirror a lot. Jesus, I need some vitamin D or some sun or something. You know, it's like I, I, you sit in the house, you lose your mind. Right. It's scary because um, I know I have to get outside and work out. I have to run. You know what yeah. I mean? Do some. I can only do so much in my driveway or in my right. or in my backyard. Um, I don't like to work out by myself, if that, um, if that makes sense. I like to be around guys so I can push myself. And um, I have uh, my father of six, soon to be seven. Uh, Congratulations. Have, thank you. I have two nine-month-old twins here, and one of them has respiratory issues. So, wow. yeah, I can't really take that risk going outside or trying to go into a workout group and working out with those guys and jeopardize, you know, my, my son or even my pregnant wife right now. So. Um, I'm kind of in a tough spot trying to do all that I can without exposing myself. But the weight's down, so that's great. Mm-hmm. What's the heaviest you ever wore playing weight? Playing? Yeah. You mean on game day? Is game day the day that you can that you probably weigh the most during a week? Yeah, yeah. I would say, um, if not, well, no, not game day. I'll probably say a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, the 
the, I say Monday the day after the game because now, you know, hydrating, trying to uh, put all the fluids back into my body. Uh, we're going back in the next day and working out everything that I can't eat during the later parts of the week. I try to get it in on Monday and Tuesday, knowing that weigh-ins are Thursdays or Fridays. So, um, But the heaviest I've been on game day, which my coaches in New York didn't believe me, um, I was 360, 360 on game day. Oh, that ain't too bad, dude. 362, but when, once you put on all the pads and everything. about 390. <laughs> right. So we actually brought the scale to the, um, to the stadium, and I got on the scale before the game, and I showed them, and I actually went out and had one of the best games of my career, um, which they still weren't trying to hear. Yeah, I, I had to make my weight, which I was fine with. Yeah, you know how it is the day before weigh-in for big guys, man. We're- oh, I know. I see them in there in the sauna, and mm-hmm. you know, like, listen, we used to wear back in the day before it became like kind of faux pas. You couldn't do it anymore. Was wear those sweat jackets to practice. Oh, yeah. I don't know if guys are still doing that, but we used to do them all the time. They don't let you do them during training camp anymore. But um, I I wear um a hoodie. I used to wear the sweat jacket, a hoodie, and the the one the zip one that come mm-hmm. around. And I hide my sweat jacket inside of my my hoodie and uh, over the other uh, sweat jacket, if you will. Um, The problem is, is like when you get out of training camp, they're like, okay, you can't wear them in in training camp. But then September 7th, it's still fucking summer. Right, right. And and that's the part I never got. You know, it's not the safest thing in the world, but I know big guys, they – they they have to they have to do a lot of extra stuff to it's like a weekly battle. So I just played with Haloti the last couple of years, and you know Haloti was on it. You know Haloti will weigh in about two three fifty three sixty just walking around too. <laughs> yeah, I got to so, call Haloti soon. Uh, somebody yeah. gave me his number. I got to have a conversation. He's a good dude, man. I heard one of the best teammates I ever had. So your 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 long uh, your long winding journey to the NFL. It's it wasn't. You know, from guys that know you that I talk to, they say he had a hell of a a journey. And, you know, I know he's stronger for it, but small school, undrafted, uh, the whole nine yards. Grew up in Louisiana. Yeah. Louisiana. Yes, sir. So so talk to me about about what made that such a a unique road for you. Just because of the way I grew up watching my mom, um, single mother. I had a stepfather, but he wasn't much of a stepfather. He treated us exactly like we weren't his kids. and just seeing my mom struggle, man, walking to work, um, me being a 10-year-old kid, afraid for my mom walking to work with all the crime that was going on. So I would walk her halfway to work. Um, and having a kid of my own once I got to college, I just knew that I wanted better for my kid and my family. So um, I just decided to put my all into it, and it, it, it actually worked out. The, the small school thing was a blessing in disguise. I had some opportunities to go to uh, some big schools after my freshman year. And uh, I was about to take that opportunity. Uh, Cal. I was about to go to Cal. Yeah. Yeah. I actually almost transferred to Cal after my first year. I was a little older than you, but yeah, yeah, I, we were playing, running a three, four at Virginia and I, I didn't want any part of it. Now you would have been just fine at Virginia. You should have gone to Virginia. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. I ran a four, three in college. So once the NFL scouts started coming around, they told my coaches they wanted to see more of me in the 3-4. Now, to my understanding, 3-4 was odd defense, zero and two five techniques, and I wanted no parts of it. So, um, you, were, you ran a 4.3 second 40. <laughs> I thought you said you ran a 4-3. No, no. I, like, I was like, were you one of these converted safeties, and why the fuck did they convert you? I ran a 4-3-20. <laughs> 
My 40 time was actually pretty bad, man. I think it was like a five, six. Uh, but you know what? Like, I, I see this, and they put these big guys out there, and some of these O-linemen, when you watch the it, – to me, it's as much about how they look moving, the big guys, like the interior guys or the O-linemen, than like how fast they're really running. It's a bonus if you're Tristan Wirfs, the guy from Iowa, and you run a 4-8 or whatever. Like, hey, that's impressive. I don't know what that means, though. Yeah, I, I, but during that whole entire time, I was running – um, five oh five five ten. Yeah. So, but once I got to, I thought the pro day was going to be at my school, William Penn, which that was the plan. Um, but the scouts wanted to go up to Iowa State to see Kalechi. Yeah. So what they were supposed to do was make their rounds to Iowa, Iowa State, then come to William Penn. But then one scout had this grand idea of me going up to Iowa State, um, where to come to William Penn, I think it was about eighteen scouts confirmed to come, but at right. Iowa State. It was 31, I think, 31 or maybe all 32. Um, so they just wanted to get me out in front of a, a bigger audience. I personally think they didn't want to take the extra drive, which was about an hour. Isn't that a motherfucker? It's just an yeah. hour. So, look, when I got to Iowa State, um, I had my routine and everything, but I'm from a small school. I never talked to media. Uh, we played in front of our fans at that time, maybe with 500 people at our football games. And I get to Iowa State. And I see all these scouts with all these NFL jackets on, and it just blew my mind. And then I saw Ted Thompson on the sideline as well, um, the former general manager of the Packers, right? That's, yeah. That's Ted. Yeah, so I spoke with him a little bit. And now I'm, I'm just I'm starstruck with everything that's going on. There's cameras. They're here to watch us run. And I'm thinking I'm going to warm up and get ready. But I didn't know how it worked. So Iowa State worked out and stretched their guys on one side of the field. And they gave me the other side of the field to stretch on, and I didn't know what to do. You're so all alone. I was all alone, so I was just doing just the regular stretches, man. And once I got warmed up, okay, cool, I'm ready to run. But I'm the last guy to run. And by the time I got up there to run, I was cold, I was stiff. Um, yeah. And I, it just looked bad. The same thing in the weight room. I think I ended up doing 33 reps or 34 something like that. I could have done more, but by the time they told me uh, I was the last guy, I warmed up immediately as soon as I got in there, but I did it too fast and I didn't yep. want to go back and do it again yep. and sacrifice some reps. So I, I had about 40, 45 reps in me, but um, I was stiff, man. That, that was a tough process. You think about like small school guys, I'm sure you think about them every year and you probably pull for them, but I mean, because of the coronavirus, you, you have lost pro days. You've lost the mm -hmm. ability to go out and scout smaller school guys right because um again my, i know the way that i was just explaining how my pro day went and how difficult that was for me um with some of these guys having no opportunity whatsoever to um to showcase what they can do in front of the scouts is i think it's gonna it's gonna hurt them more than it more than it'll help them i think some guys it, it helps some guys that'll go earlier in the rounds um yeah. that, that may have dropped if they got a chance to go out there for the pro day right yeah but the small school guys is gonna it's gonna hurt them bad, man. Absolutely. So you get to New York, and that's got to be a big far cry from anything you ever really done. Because where in Louisiana are you from? New Iberia and Lake Charles. That's like New okay. Iberia is near Baton Rouge and Lake. You're Charles. near you're near Texas, right? Near the Texas border. Yeah, because yeah, I heard Zero talking about Lake Charles in. Uh, man, in stop that, man! What you know about Zero, man? <laughs> Come on, Mo City Don, man. It, oh man, don't do that. That's my favorite rapper of all time, man. Okay, give me your favorite three Zero songs. 
Um, dang, you just put me in a. Um, yeah, we'll do it later during that. I'll give you time to think. Okay, okay. Dude, I fuck with Zero. Zero is, Zero is, a, is a legend. The, uh, the, the Most of the Dawn is my number yeah. one. Yeah, Most of the Dawn. That's my number yeah. one song for Head me. of the Lake Charles, ahead of the Lafayette. Maybe also down at Zandra, but I, yeah. <laughs> come on, dude. Hey, come on, man. I, you know, listen, Zero, Zero, I'm, I'm, I'm old too. So, you know, when Zero was, was really hot, I was in like college, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's a big difference. You go to, you go to, um, you go to New York and you end up playing in big cities now your first eight years, Com- coming from a small school, a small town. You know, what, what, what adjustment was that? It was tough because, uh, like I said earlier, we didn't have media at my school. Um, so I wasn't prepped as much for it. And it's, and it's not a knock on the, on the school because it, it was something that, you know, they, they weren't accustomed to getting guys ready for. So um, I never did interviews. I never yeah. did, um, you know, TV or I know how to properly answer interview questions. So when I got to New York, I'm a kid from a small town, went to a, a small a school in a small town, and then I get to the biggest media, well, the media capital of the world. Yeah. And it went from four or 500 people at the games to 5,000 people at the practices. Yeah. Reporters in the locker room, hundreds of reporters in the locker room, and it was, it was overwhelming for me, and I think um, – that's the reason why myself and the media didn't get along at first because they didn't understand me. They didn't know um, this is all something I'm not accustomed to. You ask, you ask me if I want to talk and I'll tell you no, because yeah. I don't like talking. They saw it as something else, but I was just trying to protect myself because I saw what the media did to a lot of guys. Yeah. And, and New York is bad as anywhere. I mean, I was in Philly and that was, you know, my first eight years, I was kind of lucky. It wasn't like Virginia is not some big time. I mean, it's a big football school. It's an ACC school, but you know, it's not like I was under media scrutiny and then I get to St. Louis and St. Louis is chill. Like they do not care. I mean, the media, they care about football, but they're not going to you know hold your feet to the fire. And then I know you get up to New York. It's got to be like, you know, I was in Philly my last couple of years and I, I was blown away by how many reporters are in the locker room. They just need to make a story happen every day, which I respect their job, like the ones who do it with integrity. But there is this need that even if it's at the player's expense, there needs to be a fresh story every day. But you're well adjusted to it. I mean, like, dude. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, So, so the snacks Harrison I'm talking to now was not the snacks Harrison rookie year. Was it? No, no, not at all. And, um, I think, um, when I go back and I look at myself from, from back then and the way that I handled the media, I'm, I'm kind of disgusted, but again, I, I understand where I was coming from and even coming in as a rookie, um, it's a machine for them. So they expect everybody to be media ready. They expect yeah. everybody to be media prep. And here I am coming in from William Penn. Um, when you have guys like Quinn Copels, Demario Davis, Stephen Hill, who were prepped for this, not only in college, but in the places that they yeah. tried for, like for the combine and everything. And that was just my first shot at it. I went straight from William Penn, straight to New York, like with no training, not no media training, no prep for the media at all and I was just thrown into the locker room for rookie mini camp and it was it was just too much. What uh did you get into it with Francesca? Yes I did. <laughs> what what happened there? He um he talks too much man. <laughs> yeah it's um, fucking what he does all day long. And it's this a guy who um I went out to his kids school, spoke to the kids at his kids school, sat there with him for about an hour and a half maybe. Um 
signed autographs for everybody there before I left. I stayed an extra 30 or 45 minutes signing autographs for the kids. And, um, you know, I didn't know that the guy hated me so much behind the scenes. Had I known that earlier, then I would have already, uh, you know, braced myself for it. But that's another thing I was mad at myself for. I let my guard down once. Right. Then I see this happening. Like I, it, it, it sent me through the roof. It's true because everybody wants to be your friend. And I have friends in the media and, um, you know, there, there are some people you got to watch for, you know, it's just, it's a trap. A lot of it is. And I know there's a ton of young players come from small schools that like could probably wish they could have talked to you and, and, and heard the whole transition, you know, what it's like to go through that. What would you tell a young kid coming from a, a small school? If you give them any advice on the media. Well, I had an opportunity to speak to, um, two draft classes, the Jets and the Giants draft classes. They, they brought them together. Um, and I was able to go speak to those. I think it was two draft classes right, that I spoke to. And they asked me some of those same questions is just prepare yourself for the worst. Um, come in with a good mind and a good attitude, but just know that um, any opportunity that they have to tear you down, they will. No matter yeah. if you're a first round pick or an undrafted guy, the moment that you do something wrong, they will tear you down. Don't take it personal. Just, just move on. Because if not, it's, it's going to consume you and it's going to distract you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like T.O. gets snubbed for a bunch of shit just because he was not great with the media. Right. I mean, they literally can turn it into this vendetta and, like you said, tear you down. Um, and you don't even have to be that much of an asshole. You just have to not give them what they want. <laughs> right, right. And so, that's thing, me being that guy, that open guy, and everybody knew that. Yeah. Um, once I did, or once the NFL forced me to start talking because I would avoid them for, you know, weeks at a time. <laughs> And then, um, you know, I got a memo from the NFL that I needed to start talking. Um, once they saw how open and honest I was, everybody wanted to speak to me. Right. I couldn't give the quarterback answers, you know, the, the, the generic answers, the stuff I'm supposed to say. They didn't want that. So when I did that, they, they spun it into something else. It's so funny to me because for somebody who got to know you, like, through Twitter, you know, your personal side, I knew you on the field, but seeing your feed, seeing your interviews – um, you would have never thought that you went through that learning curve that, that, you know, that couple of years where you were making the adjustments. So good job, man. You know, like anything's possible, bro. A small school kid in the big apple, learning how to deal with all the snakes in the media. <laughs> man, that, it's tough, man. I, I feel for it. And I think the media, um, played a part in a lot of, uh, players downfall in New York. Now their own field performance did as well. But, um, you know, some of those young kids, they, they killed them before they even had opportunity to get started, to kill their confidence. And who did they tear down, you think? I think Stephen Hill, D. Milliner. Again, these are some guys who, who that, that play did. Uh, yeah, but you're always – if the media has decided that, hey, this is a guy that we're going to create stories right, right. off yeah. of, then, then it's always going to be under a bigger microscope than the, the next guy on the roster. So – they didn't give those kids a chance to, you know, to, to overcome some of the obstacles that they had. And the media has a lot of power in New York. Yeah. They post a story, everybody's running with it. Mm -hmm. Once a coach out, the media will get the coach out of town as well yeah. as the player. So um, I, I, I think they played a part in it. Coaches are afraid sometimes of, you know, coaches read too. They want to tell players mm -hmm. don't read news clippings, but they're the first ones to slap like a fucking – it doesn't even have to be ESPN. They'll slap like a message board post right. that you had to dig for for three hours to find 
on the PowerPoint and be like, hey, guys, we got to play harder. I'm like, wait, hold on. We're not reading press clippings. Right. You know? Or the pressure of, hey, this this player, you know, the you know that this player is times up. Like that's kind of the consensus in the, in the city. And then the coach is reading that like, well, there's pressure there that I have to make a move. Right. So right. Right. I've seen that firsthand. So one thing the media is not into, I want to hit you on, which is run-stopping throwback players, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're one of the best run-stoppers I've seen in my time in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, if they're, you know, I don't know about all this all-decade team stuff. Did you make the all-decade team? Uh, the one that they just, no, the one they just Okay, I, I barely looked at it because they don't want to give any respect to the guys who put their hand in the dirt and mm-hmm. play the run. Uh, <laughs> how hard is it? with the all-decade team, accolades, Pro Bowls, like just general fan consensus. And then like your bottom line, you're trying to go get a job. Right. You know that you're a guy who does something that the league has devalued a bit. I mean, it would have bothered me a lot more if I didn't have the type of upbringing that I had. Um, I've been overlooked in everything that I've ever done in my life. So this was nothing new. You know, I was from the middle school football team. I didn't play football until my uh, senior year in high school. Um, I was on the bench a lot, basketball coming up until my sophomore year in uh, high school. Um, So I've always been an underdog. So once I got here, you know, I understood that I had a chance to rewrite my story professionally, and I tried to do that. But um, one thing that, that I regret doing a lot my rookie year is I read a lot. Like, I didn't, I didn't know how not to. I saw it on my Twitter feed. Um, I was online looking at it and I was reading the story they were writing yeah. about guys all the time. And I was reading on myself, um, you know, how I was a camp body. I wasn't going to make the roster. Um, there's no way in hell that, you know, this guy would be a, even a remotely decent football player. My own agent at the time told me that I'll be fighting for a practice squad job for two years. And then the third year, I'm sorry, I'll be on the practice squad for two years. And then the third year, I'll be fighting for an active roster spot. Now, this was told to me while I was still in college. Like, I didn't even get into, you know, the, the NFL yet at the time. So, you know, that shit kind of pissed me off. Excuse my language. Um, this is not a clean podcast. <laughs> but I told him I don't like anybody to put limitations on my life, man. That's, that's, that's my motto. I, I refuse to let anybody put limitations on my life. Yeah, and, and, and you've played that way. Um, I, I want to... Are you are you a Game of Thrones fan? Going back to the Giants real quick. Hell yeah! Okay, this is going to be cool. Okay, so you know who George R. R. Martin is? The uh, was it the writer or the director? Yeah, the, the the guy who did all the Game of Thrones books. Mm-hmm. All right, so I got to interview him last summer, and you came up in the interview. Okay. Uh oh. Yeah, he's a Giants fan. We traded away Snacks Harrison, who uh, was a big run stuffer up the middle, caught the middle. Great and the, the knock against him was he didn't get a lot of sacks. So he didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. He just stuffed the run. Uh-huh. So we trade him away. And then what do we do with the 17th pick? We draft a guy who's a big run stuffer up the middle, but doesn't get a lot of sacks. Yes. So we replace snacks with young snacks. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> why didn't we just keep old snacks? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the proven snacks. I like the proven snacks. So there you go. There's George R. R. Martin talking about uh, one of his favorite players, he told me, on the Giants, who did Game of Thrones and never thought they should have traded you away. How do you feel about that? That's crazy, man. My cheekbones are hurting and smiling so much. I, like, it's, it's amazing um, I, how many people 
uh, outside of the football small community that we have that actually know who I am. I got a chance to meet Spike Lee. And Spike Lee had a reaction as if he just seen, you know, one of his childhood heroes. And it threw me off. I turned around. I was looking like. That's amazing. He, he talking to somebody behind me, but he was like, no, you, snacks. I'm, oh, man. That blew my mind, but that's crazy that he knows who I am, man. That's that's my favorite show of all time. And he, well, it, it's one of my favorite shows, but the ending was, and he didn't. George R. R. Martin didn't have anything to do with the ending. It was a new. I writer, heard. But I heard. Yeah. I, who who should have sat on the throne? Arya. Yeah, I was with I was with you there. I was yeah. with you there. Arya. Yeah. They tricked it off, man. They they just plain tricked it off. They didn't have enough time to wrap it up. There were too many storylines, and they just blew a bunch of shit up, which was. Perfectly okay, but um, yeah, for me, my favorite show of all time is The Wire. I put like I put Game of Thrones in the top five. I got Breaking Bad in the top five. You know, everybody's favorites, but I thought Game of Thrones had a chance to solidify themselves as like the number one or top three, and they kind of tricked it off at the end. But George R. R. Martin loves snacks, so there you go. Um, Detroit, what? I, I know you've been kind of guarded here, so I'm not going to press you, but. Why wasn't it a good fit? I mean, it didn't seem like you disliked the fans or the city or even your teammates or you you were a model citizen, but just for you, it wasn't a good fit. Yeah, because um, when I got there last year, it was fresh. It was new. Um, and I was I was a bit angry. And um, to be completely honest with you, I didn't want to go to Detroit because of some things that I heard um, from some guys in the past and some guys who, who were there. So. Um, when I got the call that that's why I was traded, um, you know, I didn't answer the phone for a couple of hours. Uh, Bob Quinn was calling me and I, and I didn't pick up the phone because I was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. So when I got there, I didn't know anything about the scheme. I was a nose tackle my entire career, one technique, shade, you know, zero, some two eye. I get there and um, it's two, three techniques. Right. Now, for me, in my career, the most frightening thing for me um, was playing three technique because how far back the guards were set. Um, yeah. And, I and, felt, they get away, and they get away with it. Right, right. Um, and I felt like I would have to stand up because I wasn't much of a get-off guy. I'm a immediate contact because the center's right there. He can't run. I can put my hands on him immediately and um, handle him any way I chose. So when I got there and found out I was playing three technique, I tried to get out of, we had some conversations about not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of incorporated some of that zero nose shade in there um, to, to kind of fit my play style. But it was something that I wasn't comfortable with. I had some success doing it. Um, but the next year, this past year, um, I think it kind of came back to bite me in the ass. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the season mentally. I came into camp in shape, um, but during the first three weeks of camp, I think I kind of worked myself out of shape mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't doing anything. And um, that was a that was a time where, to be honest with you, we were trying to facilitate a trade. Um, I was hell bent on getting out of there, um, and there's nothing against the the people of Detroit, the city, or anything like that. I I I'll forever love the city of Detroit, but I just had to go try to put myself into a situation where um, I saw myself there for two or three years, you know, to end my career. And I just didn't see myself in Detroit. 
um, for them. Yeah, you don't, don't want to, like, you, I totally get this. Because I, I think this is the thing people don't understand is, listen, I've asked for a trade before in my career, okay? Mm -hmm. I'll just say that. I'm not going to say when or where. I asked for a trade before. <laughs> um, and at times there's things that haven't, it's not personal, or maybe it is, but, you know, for me, it, you only have a certain window as a football player and you're, you're getting older. And, you know, to your point, you want to finish your career somewhere where you have a solid foundation right. that fits you. It, I, I don't think people understand that like seeking a trade when you got traded there in the first place, you didn't have a choice is right. not being disloyal. It's just saying this is bad for business for me because in a year when I hit the market, if I'm playing this shitty scheme that doesn't fit me or I've got this issue or that issue, it's going to, it's going to hurt me. Do you right. feel like it hurts you now? Um, I don't, I, I think it did, um, but more so my, my play more than anything because mentally I was just out of it, man. I, I couldn't focus on football. I was too busy trying to get caught back up with everything. Um, it was just a, it was a rough training camp for me, the roughest training camp of my career. And I, I just spent a lot of time just pondering my future. My wife, my family was back in Texas. Um, yeah. My wife was having issues with her gallstone. Uh, uh, with a gallstone and I was in Detroit and I couldn't help it. We live in Texas where we don't have any family. Right. So, um, at that point she needed me there and I wasn't able to be there because I was in training camp. Um, but luckily one of our neighbors were able to, um, you know, kind of take care of things here while she was at the hospital and I was up in Detroit. Um, but you know, Matt Patricia is a great coach, a great guy. You know, I have a lot of respect for Matt Patricia. It had nothing to do uh, with him personally. Yeah. Bob Quinn. I, mean, I, I like Matt too. I, I do. I played for Matt in New England and we didn't always get along like when it came to the X's and O's. Like I did not like the scheme in New England. Okay. So you know how he is. Dude. Yeah. I mean, like me and Matt though, we're still tight and I like Matt. It was tough trying to get adjusted to a, um, a new team, new coach, new training staff. You got to learn everybody. Everybody has to learn you. And I think it just got out of hand early on and I was trying to do too much to uh, catch back up and uh, my body suffered for it. So, um, but I wanted to get back to my whole, my three, not my three technique, the two eyes shade, you know, one technique to where I can be the best player and get the best out of, you know, me. Yeah, well, space is tough for, you know, bigger guys and guys that like your strength is, is a phone booth, man. Like you want to, you want the fight to happen right now. Right now. <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, um, I think there's certain blocks as a defensive end even that space makes it tougher. And to somebody watching the game, you might think, well, it's supposed to be easier to play a three or half man, or sometimes you want to put, be head up. Sometimes that, that close quarters is good. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, what's the toughest block that you have to play? What's the block that you hate playing? Is it like a backside scoop? Is it in a three? Is it the piggyback? Is that, is that considered the backside scoop? Yeah, like if you're in a three and that and that um, I think it, there's some people who are gonna rip us because we don't know what the fuck to call it. We just play it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Backside scoop. The the block I used to hate because I play in like a four eye sometimes. I'd hate being half half man and having somebody go away from you, like just bump you, and then the guy is on his back shoulder. It's like that piggyback technique because right. there's no way. And then everybody's like. How are you getting cut off? I'm like, you fucking try it. It's impossible. We're, right. we're on different levels. The, the, the guard wants to get off me or the tackle wants to get off me. I hate that block. 
Right. And so uh, Matt Patricia and I, as well as our defensive line coach and um, assistant defensive line coach and defensive coordinator, Coach Pascalone, we spent a lot of time last season going over that block because it was a block that was troubling our entire defensive line for me. I wonder why, because it's really hard. But coaches, they seem to not understand. It's easy, man. Just slide in there, punch him, and scoop. You can't do that. That's not what he's doing. Oh, dude. No. He's showing us the drill. Okay, when he turns like this to go, you push him, put your hand here. And I'm like, no, he's not going that flat. He's I can't control a guy who's trying to run away from me. I can control a guy who's trying to come right at me. But, but I can't control a guy who's trying to run sideways. But you see, the piggyback was easy for me to play at the nose because now the center who's trying to get away from me, I can grab you immediately. And he's small, and he's head up on you. Right, right. So I can punch him and control him. And the other guy, if he wants to come, let him come. Yeah. Because nobody's on the back of them. Right. The right. center was supposed to get there, but I got the center. Yeah. Or even if I want, if the center goes flat now, I've been taught to attack who's trying to block me. Yep. So the center's right. Fight pressure with pressure. If the center is going to win, the guard's coming. I'm going to attack the guard. Yep. And that's just the way I was taught, and that wasn't the way that we played it. And uh, Coach Patricia, I'm having flashbacks to like fucking 11 years of arguments, like, no, like cordial arguments. They weren't like right. blowups, but I spent 11 years, and players, you know, any player would tell you this, like. Coaches, unless they played, it's hard for them to understand how a scheme feels. Right. So right. that's one of those things that I just don't feel like they get in the run game sometimes mm-hmm. that it's not, you know. So, okay. So you're, so one thing, I, a big scary dude, I've, I've, I've identified one thing you're afraid of, and that's probably space. Um, flying. Okay. I heard you're afraid of flying. A little birdie told me that you don't like flying. Talk to me about that. Man, I am terrified of flying. Um, I'm not much of a traveler. In the beginning, uh, my beginning of my NFL career, I had to take sleeping pills to try to sleep on the flights. Um, before I got to New York, I was on two flights, one to Florida to train and one back from Florida. And that was the only flights out. And my God, I must have went into this, this cold sweat. Like, I couldn't stop sweating. I wanted to talk to the pilot. Do we, I wanted to know, did we have parachutes? Do we have enough gas? Like, do you need to change the oil? Like, are the tires properly aired? I wanted to know everything, man. And um, You wanted to have a sit-down. You had to, to make sure things were straight. But my first flight was during a storm. I didn't know about turbulence. I didn't know you could even – I thought once you go over the clouds, man, you don't hear anything. And that wasn't the case. We, we were shaking all over the air, man. I didn't want to get back on the plane. So, yeah, flying is probably up there, like, if it's not one, it's number two. Am I, uh, What's number one, then? Snakes. Dude, fuck. <laughs> you and me, dude. I fucking hate snakes. I can't stand them. I mean, I've, I've, I've held a snake before, but I could never do it now. I did it, like, when I was younger. Right. And, uh, you know, like, there's no chance. But flying for me, when I was younger, I used to take um, anti-anxiety meds on the, on the plane. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I grew out of it, and I'm pretty good now. I, I don't know. For me, it's, I don't know if it's a lack of control, you know, like I'm just sitting there looking sideways out the window. Right. I, I don't have perspective. I can't see, mm-hmm. you know what happened one time on one of our charters, uh, team planes, they let me and Robert Quinn sit in the front during the flight. So me and Robert Quinn got to stand there with the pilots while they were flying the plane. And up there, it's like a big 180 degree vista. You can see everything. 
Mm-hmm. And so that made me feel better about like up there, I felt like they were just driving a bus. Right. And then, you know, I had a conversation with the pilot. He's like, listen, like turbulence can't make a plane really go down. Maybe he was lying to me, but he was like, think of it like a boat on the water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's chop. It's just chop. You just ride in the waves. People have told me, you know, statistically you have a better chance of, of blah, 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 blah. Like I don't give a fuck. That's right. No, no, no. Because if I get in a car accident, it might be over fast. Like, if I if the plane is doing this, Ooh-wee. it's going to be a long three minutes. Right. So listen to this. Check this out. Um, coach Sherman's first year as the Giants head coach, right? I'm down in Texas. OTAs are starting. I didn't plan on going to OTAs um, because I wanted to take that time off to really get my body right and really focus on my family. Um, we moved to Texas. We we lived in New York um, up to that point, six years, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we moved to Texas, so I wanted to stay home. But it was a new coach. He's calling me every day. When you going to come in? When you going to come in? I said, okay, man, I'll come in. So I took a private flight to New York. All right. Now, on that flight, it was a shared private flight. So it was like seven other people on there. You were on an Uber ride share. Pretty much. That was your problem. It, it was the cheaper. It was the cheaper. Uh, it was the cheaper option. But um, I'm on there with Giants fans. Yeah. You won't stop talking to me. They asking me questions. I'm already terrified. So we're flying over Philly. We're almost there. All of a sudden, the plane just goes crazy, like absolutely crazy. Um, the guy in front of me starts praying. The lady's screaming. The stewardess was standing up with the cookie tray right when it happened. So she went flying and hit the couch that was on there. She's trying to hold on. People are screaming, and I'm losing my fucking mind. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I'm sitting, I'm sitting facing opposite the cockpit. Right. Um, and I'm too scared to turn and look to see what, what the pilots are doing. Cause in my mind, one of them just had a heart attack or something and shit, somebody's gonna have to Google how to fly a plane or something. So for about 35 seconds, it was pure chaos on the plane. Once the plane came back, um, the stewardess said that, well, the pilot said that it was a pocket of turbulence they hit um, with some bad air or something like that. The pilot in front of them, the plane went through the same thing. Cool. We land in New York. Now, I have to get to New Jersey. I, I literally flew into New York. I was going to take a helicopter ride over to um, one part that was closer to the tunnel. I don't know exactly where it was. My first, I was feeling brave at the time. It's an hour and a half drive. I didn't want to take the drive. So by the time that shit was over, the pilot was there to take me on the helicopter. I told him, you can go home. I'm not getting on this. Yeah, dude. No, no chance. I took an Uber. It took me two and a half hours. To Don't care. Just, I'm going to be th- a thankful fucking dude in that Uber for two and a half hours. No, but here's the kicker. Later that night, the owner of the airline, or whatever it was, called me and asked me if I was okay. And I told him, yeah. Then he told me what really happened. He told me the pilot lost control of the plane. We dropped. I think he said it was 25,000 feet. And had we been closer to, um, closer to New York, we would have uh, crash landed. 
So we were starting our descent into it because we were flying over Philly. But I think he said had we been maybe at 20 or 30 miles closer to where we were, we'd have crash landed because how how fast the plane dropped. Um, we dude. Yeah. So and it was crazy. Call me crazy. But um, I took another private flight back home. I stayed there a week because I couldn't do it. I was only supposed to be there one day. I couldn't just get back on the plane. No, the the plane. law of averages. You're, you know, it's not going to happen twice. Oh yeah, that's that's what you know. That that was my thought process. That's why I went ahead on and did it. But just so happened that the same guy who was in front of me praying on that flight was on the same flight no. back to Dallas, and I was terrified. Dude, listen, <laughs> and, and you're right. You got to look at the pilots, and you're afraid to. But my thing during turbulence is always to look at the flight attendants, and when they look flustered. I, you know, like on the charter plane, I was the guy who was always like, you know, we were always getting the snacks first. We were always in the back of the plane, like cool with all the old flight attendant ladies because they would tell us they knew we were afraid of flying. Is this scary or is this not? One time in St. Louis, we were going to, we were landing, come back from San Francisco, so a big plane. And uh, I think, I think uh, what I remember is we hit a big bump, like kind of one of those, like you knew you fell a while, which is always to your point further than you think you fell. Cause like you could fall, like you could feel like it's normal turbulence and you fell a couple hundred feet, you know, but if you fell a couple hundred feet in an elevator, you'd be like feeling like you're, you know, like you're gonna fall to the center of the earth. Right. So everybody's like, what the fuck just happened? The, uh, the flight attendants get nervous. They start buckling up. We're like, oh, shit, it's game time, dude. It's game time. Like, you know, this is it. I'm going to send some texts and whatnot. Turned out we hit a flock of geese like Sully. Yeah. And the pilot, we hit him so hard, we lost an engine. We thought that the pilot thought he hit a small plane. Wow. Bro. Yeah, so I was I I was very thankful, but I gotta fly a lot. Like, and I guess what I've done to just get over it is try to relinquish control. Like, I know I can't control the situation. I accept the statistical probability, which is very low. And I talked to some friends who are pilots, and they say, "Hey, you're probably gonna be good." Yeah. So fear of flying that's that's one thing. I want to hit you with some quick hitters before we let you go. Some more fun stuff because we've been on some serious stuff. I want you to build me the perfect defensive tackle. With your favorite guys in the league, all their attributes, like a Frankenstein. Mm. Athleticism got to go with Aaron Donald. Quickness off the line of scrimmage, Gerald McCoy. Oh, yeah. Strength, I would have to go with Linville Joseph. Was but, Fletch uh, in there? We got, I, I got to get something for Fletch. Yeah, Fletch, yeah, yeah. Fletch was in there. Um, no, AD was the pass rush, and Fletch was the, Fletch was the athletic ability. Yeah. Fletch and Daryl get off the ball as quick as anybody. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy because um, Fletch is a big guy. <laughs> he's tall. Like, he's tall. And that's what's crazy is I watch some of these guys coming out. I don't know if you watch a lot of college tape, but I was watching, you know, the top two guys in Brown mm-hmm. down at Auburn and then the guy, uh, Kinlaw from South I like the guy Kinlaw now. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I like Brown. As well. I, I like Brown as well. The uh, Detroit fans kind of forced me to – to, to look into Brown some because after I got uh, released. Oh, yeah, that, that's where they might pick. You know, that, it was just tweeting me about him, tweeting me about him. And you I think had, that's what they go with? I think so, but um, I think that, that corner, was it the Ohio State corner? Akuda. Yeah, he's pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him. I've been, 
but quarterback, they're safe there. Right. Yeah. No. Matt, Matt, I mean, you like Matt a lot. That's just the man. Staff, our season would have been completely different had Stafford not gotten hurt. I know it. You guys were top everything in all the offensive categories before he got hurt. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know what it is that, that people always want to dog Matt Stafford. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I don't think people realize how hard it is to win in certain franchises in certain situations. Especially being in a division with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Right. right. It's kind of like being in a division with uh, Tom Brady. I don't care who, what quarterback you bring in there. Yeah, it's never going to amount or add up to what Tom Brady has done. You yeah, know? in the past twenty years, how many AFC East quarterbacks have been, <laughs> you know, given the opportunity to excel? Right. You know, it's, it hasn't true. been a great quarterback division outside of Tom Brady. So, uh, give me three teammates that you got that you'd have to socially isolate with in, in in a smaller apartment. If you had if you had to pick three of them, uh, who would it be? You got to stay in for a month, and you can't leave the yard. Quandre Diggs, Darius Slay, and Odell. Like we all have a genuine bond. Like I can I can stand most people I can't stand being around longer than 10 minutes. With those guys, we can talk for hours. Like we yeah. laugh and we joke. We talk about any and everything. So yeah. um and I think they will bring the most excitement and the most fun. I could go with a couple other guys, but after a while. Their, post, their personalities won't be able to stand up to uh, being isolated over yep. a long periods of time. Quandre, Odell, and Slater is pure comedy, man. I saw you shooting hoops, okay? And I was, mm-hmm. I was impressed, all right? I was really impressed. I did. So if you're, if you're in the NBA and I give you starter minutes for 82 games, how many boards a game can you pull down? Boards? No, 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 no. No, no, I was a shooting guard. How many okay, points? but first, let's start with the boards because some people are going to, like, let's, how many boards and how many points? Okay, since you want to go there, how many points? 82 games, you average 20 minutes a game. If I could train for it, you mean, like, if I had time to train for the NBA and actually. Yeah, yeah you, got, you, got, you, got, you got two months. Two months, damn. <laughs> it looked, hey, dude, the, the J looked really natural when I saw it in the, in the video. In my. In my um, in my current state, two months. Your best state. My best state, two months. I could give you six boards a game. Six boards a game. How many points a game? Sixteen. <laughs> Sixteen. Right. You go to the All Star game almost. I take it, man. Six fans are gonna love you. Sixteen six. Um, I could give you about three or four assists a game as well. Well, I wasn't going to ask you this question because I don't want to put you on the spot, but it seems like you've got the confidence to answer it. Who could get that work in the NBA right now currently one-on-one? Who could you dominate? Could you beat anybody one-on-one in the NBA right now? Um, ooh, man. You know, last time I answered a question like that, I had a, a UFC champion at my net. Challenge you? <laughs> what, who was it? Wait, I don't know anything about this. They asked me a question, a random question. It's TMZ reporter, man. Um, do I think that I could be a UFC champion? And um, and I told him, yeah. And I think they asked me if I could beat the current heavyweight champion. I'm not sure. I think they spun it a little bit. Um, as, as TMZ does. And I didn't know who the guy was. I had no idea. But they asked me, do I, did I think I could beat him? Like, what the hell you want me to say? Yes. Yeah, yeah I could beat him. Yes. I, I beat the shit out of him. Right. If I, if I was properly given 
I, I told him if, if I was given the amount of time that he was given to train for it, yeah. I'm not going to say I could go out there now and do it. Hell no. But if that was my profession and I trained for it as much as he did, you fucking right, I'd be. Plus, there's a big weight difference. I mean, like, yeah. if, if the rules didn't apply to you and, like, you didn't have to get down below a current weight, I mean, I could see you roughing up a couple UFC guys. I mean, they're, they're scary. I mean, their technique, they could they could you know, knock you out in a second. Like, you know, with, I don't like that kicking to you, man. Yeah, the kicking, you can get caught. Do you not remember who the UFC guy was? Stipe Miocic. Yeah, this is the guy. He's a big Cleveland Browns fan, too. Did you guys ever squash it? No, it, it kind of just died, man. It, it, well, I mean, like, what if you're a fighter, uh-huh. I understand you've given your life to that sport. And, you know, it'd be like somebody saying, of course, I can play football. But it's a little different because you have size, you have physicality. But you have to expect that, like, the mindset of a fighter, you'd have to at least respect the guy saying, like, yeah, I like my chances because that's – like they wouldn't, they wouldn't say no. Right. And I, and I made it very clear too, that only if I was given the opportunity to train as much as he did. Yeah. I could do it now. I'm not saying I could do it now. I'm yeah. probably going, I'm not just going to get my ass whipped. I'm going to lose. What's your style going to be? I'm, I'm aggressive, man. I'm a, I'm a puncher. I'm not much of a kicker, but I, I just want to brawl. Let, let's just meet in the middle of the ring. Fuck all that dancing. Let's just get it out the way. So you didn't like that one fight recently that was – did you watch the fight where the dudes danced around for uh, Ad- Adesanya and uh, and the other dude, they danced around for a solid five rounds. People were mad. They wanted to give their money back. Oh, no, no, man. That's kind of watch, uh, why I stopped watching boxing. I admire Floyd Mayweather a lot. Man. But it's That's tough. My, one of my favorite boxers of all time, but it's kind of boring to watch. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's boring. And the two can be true. It's like, I used to argue with this because all the DBs, they love Floyd, okay? Mm-hmm. The DBs, we used to argue about this all the time. Okay, like, Floyd's the, the greatest out there right now. He's technically a wizard, bro. It's, it's amazing to watch, but it's also boring to watch at times. And the right. two can be true. Right. You know, if there's a really good football team and you don't like their style of play, they might be the best in the league, but I don't like their style of play. It's not appetizing for me to watch that. So. The next one I saw was uh, Burger King. Okay, you were tweeting about Burger King the other day. Best burgers. I right. don't need to take, but you got crushed for it. Why Burger King out of all the fast food chains? Man, at, back when I was eating the beef, um, just the quality of it and the taste of it and the texture and the bread. And I was the bun was amazing. I wasn't a big mayo guy, but whenever they made a mistake and put mayo on it, I wasn't mad at all. I hate mayonnaise, bro. <laughs> But on Burger King burgers, man, like the double whopper or triple whopper, you throw some cheese on there, man. Like it, it was nothing like it, man. It was nothing. Dude, how good would it be to have? I know. Well, you say you don't eat meat anymore. You're vegan. By the end of this year, I'm trying to convert fully. I'm still trying to find some stuff that I can that I like, because the last time I tried to just jump into it, like it was yeah, tough. It's tough, and you feel better though. Do you feel better? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On. All right. I I, uh, I I'm, I'm I don't hate the Burger King take, and I know people were crushing me for it. But McDonald's to your like, I would eat the shit out of a McDonald's burger. Okay, I still like them, yeah. but you know, and in and in and out, I like. But in and out's a little bit overrated. Let's just let's just lay it out there. Bro. Please put that out there. Please put that. In and out's overrated. You get any of these Cali dudes you play with? The minute you go to the West Coast, they're like, we need to get to an in and out. Like I'm like. For what? I mean, it's good, it's solid, but I'm not going to wait in line and go drive 40 minutes in traffic 
to eat that's it. Exactly what we did. It was Leonard Williams who went to USC. We went right. to California, and he was just hell bent on getting everybody to in and out. So I wanted to go see what all the fuss was about, and it was. It was just a regular burger, man. You were about to say trash. <laughs> I was. I didn't want to disrespect nobody. Yeah, no, no. Listen, like if I'm hungry, I'll eat the fuck out. If In and Out had a, 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 a you know, a, a store in my front yard right now in the middle of the pandemic, I'm there right now. Right. But Burger King, though, I'm with you. And then McDonald's, I used to eat about 40 chicken nuggets in high school in one right. city. Oh yeah. yeah, the chicken nuggets were good, man. Hell yeah! What sauce are you what sauce are you picking for the chicken? Barbecue. Nuggets? I'm sorry, no, the chicken nuggets. Sorry, sweet and sour. I was on the honey. I just honey, honey. Yeah, they used to have the honey sauce back when I was a kid. It's either barbecue or sweet and sour. Definitely sweet and sour. And then I wash it down with some Dr Pepper. Nah, man. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, you said Dr Pepper? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm a big Dr. Well, was a big Dr Pepper guy. Dr Pepper. So was I. So was I. I can't drink coffee. I can't have any caffeine. I can't have any caffeine, not even in in like a, a Coke or something. Yeah. Because I get too wired, bro. <laughs> I do. I, and then I can't I can't sit still. Okay. So Burger King it is. Uh, what's the toughest snack to, uh, to to resist in the pandemic in the fridge? What's staring you right in the eye every night when you open the fridge? Because yeah. I got a few. The ice cream, man. Oh, yeah. Ice cream, the vanilla ice cream, the uh, bluebell. Uh, bluebell was big in, during my childhood. Hadn't seen it at all during my time in New York or in Detroit, but once I got back to Texas, is that and the Pop Tarts. Pop Tarts? Yeah. Do you stocked up with which flavor on the Pop Tart? Strawberry. Do you have to have them hot? Yeah, you gotta put it either in the toast or the microwave. I'd eat them right out of the fridge. I eat I eat so many things cold, bro. I'm weird like that, bro. Oh man. Why wouldn't you have you ever had a hot one? Yeah, I've had a hot one, but I, I got a lot of shit to do, man. So you don't okay. have two minutes to wait for it and then wait for it to cool down. and You don't got to wait for it to cool down. You get you some milk, bite it, throw, you, throw it down with some milk. You'd be fine. Pop-Tart got a little weird with some of the, you know, like stick to the blueberry and the strawberry. The other flavors. Cinnamon and all of that. Like, no. Cut that shit out. Yeah, I'm with you on the vanilla ice cream. There was a stretch for a week where I was having, because I had my birthday, my wife's birthday, my mom's birthday, all in 10 days. I ate cake and ice cream every night. Earlier in in March, actually, uh-huh. I, I've gotten to the point now where I got to mix the cake with the ice cream. It's not right. enough either one alone. <laughs> do you have a favorite ice cream uh, other than vanilla? Do you have a favorite Ben and Jerry's? I've never been a big Ben and Jerry's fan. Cherry Garcia. That do you like cherries? No. Oh, see. <laughs> Ooh, see. Strawberries. I like straw. This. I'm weird because I don't like lemons, but I like lemonade. Um, Who likes lemons, though? Who like? You're not weird because nobody likes lemons, bro. Nobody wants to eat a lemon. Like, but even with um, so what's what? What does a pina colada consist of? Pineapple and and coconuts. Coconut. Like, you you don't like coconut water? Not at all. Like coconut water, regular coconuts, nothing. But I, I love pina colada. Oh, dude, I love pina coladas. If I go on vacation now and my wife and I are at the beach, I'll, I'll slam like five virgin pina coladas ju- and go work out just to work it off, just so <laughs> I can have those pina coladas, bro. Doesn't even need to have alcohol in it. I'm like a 13-year-old kid at the pool. No, man, all my drinks are virgin these days. I, can't, I used to be a big drinker, man. Now I can't drink at all. What was your drink of choice back in the day? I was a cognac guy. Um, Remy Martin, Hennessy, and Ducey. Hmm. 
Yeah. I was whatever you threw at me. I'm still whatever you throw at me, but uh, not I, as I was banned from drinking Patron. Oh, are you? Yeah, Willie Colon, actually. Willie Colon and Nick Mango banned me from drinking Patron. Does an alter ego come out? Um, The last night that I had it, yeah. <laughs> it, what's the alter ego's name? Because usually if you got to drink an alter ego, people name I, it. Was, it was Damon. It was Damon. It was Damon. Not Snacks. No, not snacks, not um, Dame, not Big Dame. What, what, are you, what are you like, irritable when you're on the, the tequila, on the Patron? Yes, very. See, vodka does that for me. Vodka gives me headaches. Yeah, vodka makes me a little bit like, you know, like my Irish ancestry, the potatoes in there, they unlock like in a video game. If, if, I, if I was in a video game and my character found some vodka, I'd get like real big and angry. Like <laughs> the brown liquor... It's all chill for me. So um, I'm a big scotch guy right now and uh, and a little bit of bourbon. So, yeah. Huh? How do you drink that? Scotch on the rocks. Um, sometimes, though, this is going to fuck up some of the viewers or the mm-hmm. listeners. Um, at Prime 112 in Miami, actually, with Miles. Shout out to Miles. If you've been down there, you like Prime? Have you been to Prime? Yeah. So Miles is my guy, Eagles fan. Um, Best food. I was there New, New Year's Eve this year. Uh, I uh, One night I was drinking late with Miles at the bar, and uh, I decided to try to shoot some scotch. So I had them chill the scotch like they would any other shot and pour it in a shot glass, and I had it. It's the, it's the greatest thing ever. I know a lot of people like to sip scotch, mm-hmm. but you can shoot it too. So, yeah, dude. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Broaden your horizons, man. Come on now. Oh, uh, Okay, so that's stacks in the in the pandemic. How about toughest guard in the league? Guard, toughest guard in the league, Yonder, for me. Uh, I know he's retired now, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yonder. And the toughest center was Alex Mack, the Cleveland Alex Mack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was a dog. Mm-hmm. Vice uh, grips. Frederick was a close second as well as uh, Frederick because he was so smart. And um, Alex was the rare combination of the the smarts, the strength, and the athletic ability. I know Kelsey said he always had a hard time playing against you. you oh, yeah. No, Kelsey Kelsey was my next one. It's yeah. it, it's Mac, Kelsey, and Frederick. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty and, uh, damn good. That my, kid, Quentin Nelson's not bad. Oh, no, not at all. Not Golly, at all. dude. And my bonus one was Eric Wood in Buffalo. That was a oh, huge. Eric, very underrated. He was huge. <laughs> and your brother disrespected the shit out of me one year. What did he do? <laughs> yeah, we played in Chicago, right? Um, I think we were in New York, and it's a close game. You know, everything's going on in the trenches. We were going against each other. And, like, literally during the TV timeout, he looked at me. He told me, he said, dude, like, like you're a great run, like, run stuff, like, but you're a fucking shitty pass rusher. Like, you're fucking God. terrible. Like, oh. Hey, hey, did you tell him, fuck you, that doesn't pay my bills? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. He wasn't lying, though, at the time. So I was like, shit, I was stuck. But what's crazy is I think I got to Cutler that game. Did you? That, I, okay, that was one thing I want to ask you. you. Do you know how many NFL sacks you got? 11, I think. 11. Can you name all the quarterbacks that you sacked? I can tell you the very first one because it's the I picture. know the first one. It's, it's a picture that I still have in my home in New Jersey. As soon as you walk in my house, it's Tom Brady. Um, but Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Chase Daniels, Kirk Cousins, 
Did he smell like money? <laughs> Not at that time. Okay. You were still asking if you like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if I've sat Kirk Cousins. I don't think I have. I missed him. I never t- I never got Tom. I never got Aaron. Have you gotten Eli? I've gotten Eli a bunch. He was one of my first sacks. In the- he was my first second league, and he was almost my last. He was <laughs> sack one and sack 69 or 68. <laughs> Because I yeah I got Deshaun a couple times right before the end so yeah I, I got Eli a bunch. Did I Alex Smith was he one? I'm stumped. But you know what? Like when you get there a lot, you don't even have to worry about it. Snacks like you're the <laughs> man, bro. You know if I can, you know somebody who doesn't get there a lot would 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 remember all of them. Come on, like you do this, bro. Come on. I, I missed a bunch. I've missed a bunch too. I'm terrible at finishing. God, I've missed a bunch, man. There's no worse feeling than laying on the ground and knowing that, like, A, this is going to look terrible on film. I'm losing money. I'm on my back. I hear the crowd cheering because he just completed like a bomb. Like, that's the worst feeling in the world. Is that worse than having somebody else steal your sack? Steal your sack? Right. Ooh, man, dude. Olivier Vernon, he owes me about four. So, okay. Yeah, I like this. Okay. So, what was it? Did he turn it in? Like, okay, for the people listening, me and Damon know this well, but uh, you come in on Monday mm-hmm. on, you know, there's film, guys argue over who was there first. The, right. the, the fucking target's always moving. So, the guy that has one rule one week is going to have a different rule the, the next week. But eventually, and it's kind of a code with D Lyman. You settle it in the meeting room. Right. Until Sometimes the coaches will fuck will fuck with you because they want to put one guy in the Pro Bowl or something. Right. So they take right. a sack and they'll say, "Oh, that was player X's sack." Right. Sometimes a player will leave the meeting room and turn it in. Right. You can go upstairs and have the uh, the media guys turn it in for you. So so was Vernon taking your your sacks and then going upstairs with it? It was a situation to where I break through the line. I got the quarterback. He's not going, like, I'm in the process of taking him down. He comes off the edge and completely takes him out of my hand. And takes you out with him. Yeah, like, takes him out of your hands. Right. So I had Matthew Stafford in my hand, wrapped up. Olivier comes off the edge, the right side, takes him out of my hand. Stafford stumbles one or two steps, falls to the ground. It's Olivier's side. Dude, we used to have these arguments so much in St. Louis, man. And then, you know, like there would be a time where I think I paid James Laronitis <laughs> thousands of dollars not to turn one in one time because he was going to turn it in. And it was my sack. Like literally at the very end as they're blowing it dead, I'm falling off. James just runs in and adds. So then he wants to turn in the sack because he thinks he's going to get a bonus. He's not going to get a bonus. He has like four more sacks to get. He's not a pass rusher. So I paid him a bunch of money, like, don't turn it in. Like, I've done – me and Mike Bennett used to argue about this stuff, like, every week. That's a good dude, too, man. Yeah, yeah, Mike, yeah. But me and Mike were both – we both wanted our numbers, you know? <laughs> like, that's – make no mistake. And the DNs need it more than the D-tackle, so I'm sure you were cool about it. But that right. shit is still – it hurts. Yeah, I know. I lost a couple sacks like that, too. Um, half sacks. I lost a couple half sacks. Oh, there's nothing worse than when you think – bro – when you think you have like three in a game and then it turns into one. Then you come back in and you realize that they gave it to somebody else. Oh, I'm just case keen. 
Case Keenum. Okay, there's another one. Case Keenum. Yeah, I just thought about that. We were talking about the sacks. So that was the sack. Um, JPP set up for me. I think it was we were in London, and that's mm-hmm. the only reason why I remembered it because he had promised me like two games before then, like bro, we're gonna run the me game, and the me game was he's coming inside taking out the guard, I wrap yep. around, yep. flush by the pocket. But every single time we called it, he never did it. Mm-hmm. So you're literally looking like a fool at the line of scrimmage trying to entertain this center, hoping he's coming in. He never comes in. So. You got to like, and that's something we do at defensive end. Sometimes we think, hey, I like the inside move. We might say me, me, and then, you know, we, don't hold it against us. So, y'all are a different breed, man, on the outside. <laughs> we are a different breed. Okay. So, how about a, um, a social media uh, pet peeve, real quick? I hate when people try to tell me what I can and can't say on my profile or tell me that I don't deserve to have an opinion. When I, when I respond to something someone else said, people question me on my question of somebody else. Yep. How, how does that make sense? You're telling me that I can't question something somebody else is saying, but you're questioning you're doing me. What I, you're doing exactly what you're mad about. Right. Right. <laughs> That's my piece. Oh, there's so many. Uh, there, I forget when it was, but you were like, hey, I need some good rock and roll. I sat there and I made you like a hundred song playlist. I just went through my favorites real quick in like 20 minutes. Did you uh, listen to any of this stuff? And what are you on now? I did. I did. It's Phil Collins rock and roll. I, yeah, I, I, I get, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Like Phil Collins is fucking awesome, but yeah, I would say he's rock. And the reason I, the reason why I was so, uh, I, I caught on to him because the Jets, you know, that's the song they played during the stretch at every home game and I would play the air drums when that part came on and I memorized the song. So um, that kind of what made me go into that, that realm as well as Nick Mangold. And, you know, you go into the locker room and you hear that shit in the weight room and you're wondering like, what the fuck are they saying? What's going on? But all the offensive linemen are excited and shit. I'm trying to understand it and I have no idea what's going on, but, I know it has to be some good shit because there's too many people listening to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When the O-linemen have the, uh, the aux cord. Right. That's you know? tough. That's tough. I don't like it when the DBs have the aux cord because, listen, I love rap music, hip-hop as much as anybody, but the new shit they're playing is garbage. Right. You can't understand that shit either. And those are the ones you don't – the linebackers, you can't really give it to them either because they, they'll start listening to some stuff that'll get boring. Or maybe they'll try to throw some throw some curveballs in there. But I would just give it to the D lineman, man. We have a good balance of everything. We do, we do. We're we're the fucking coolest people on the field, dude. Like we got we got the edge, we got the intellect, we got it all, man. We get along with everybody. I'm telling right. you. And that's the only position group where every other position group flocks to. Like you'll have receivers in there with D linemen, offensive linemen, kickers, punters, quarterbacks, everybody. We're also not to be fucked with. Exactly. And I think that's why everybody draws to <laughs> Well, Snacks, thanks, man. I appreciate the time, bro. No best, and best of the family. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, keep me posted. Yes, sir. Same to y'all, too. Thanks for having me.